Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey everybody, welcome to another new episode of Undying Light. I'm your host, Pastor Alex, and we have finally reached the Oliva Discourse. And with that, we're really close to the very end. In fact, we're just a few days from the arrest, trial, death, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we're closing in on the end of the Gospel of Matthew, and we will be spending some time working through these next couple of chapters, I really want to ensure that we take our time and do this in a due diligent manner. I had originally thought about going back and using the episodes from about three years ago. In fact, I believe they aired in January of 2021, right after we had moved to Iowa. And so I started listening to them. I got about 10 minutes in and I was like, oh, I appreciate my content from then, but I just don't want to have to reuse those episodes because one time placement really is just poor because I talk about some of the other episodes I was doing at the time. I was talking about some of the life conditions at the time and it just wouldn't make sense kind of plugging those in. Even if I gave you the precursor of, Hey, we're going to revisit an old classic on the show and drop the episode in on that. It just would be way out of sense. And I think it would be kind of out of line for how I've built this series working through the gospel of Matthew so I decided I'm just going to give you a fresh recording. And if you've listened to those episodes in the past, then hopefully this will help reinvigorate what you've learned then and uh, maybe even clarify it and, and discuss some of the things that you have perhaps had questions on over, uh, over time when it comes to eschatology. So as we dig into these chapters, I want to make it very certain and uh, make it well established that we will not... Uh, investigate the entirety of eschatology. We're not looking at the four major views. I hold to the A-mill position um, or revealed eschatology. We will not be discussing those. Uh, we might talk a little bit about how some of those have influences or draw from these passages to influence uh, the, 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 the believers of those groups, but we will not dig into them extensively and uh, we will not deal with the um, those views entirely. So, 
We will kind of briefly discuss preterism and partial preterism as we do see some of those take place in these passages, and those would be helpful for us to understand uh, how and why certain people believe these things. Obviously, I hold to the position that a full preterist uh, is a heretical view of Scripture because they believe that all things that has been discussed uh, prophetically have been uh have been completed in that this is in fact the new heavens and new earth. I and mean, they, they have a really bad view. Some are not quite to that extent. And so you'd be almost like three quarters preterist um, where they believe a lot of the things have taken place. And yet the only thing missing is the second coming of Christ. The partial preterist is one I feel like who can rightly discern between what Jesus is establishing here in these passages that some of these events take place in 8070, some of them have not and will not take place until the end. That is what a uh, more biblically sound, I think, and biblically trained person believes. And I want to have to say this about some of the people who hold to the full preterist position, the fact that they can cherry pick, you know, a hundred verses and sling them at you. And they're all talking about, you know, like the spirit and all this stuff. I mean, th- that's exactly what they're doing. They're cherry picking text and they're flinging them at you. And they they get quite aggressive with those verses. And I I made a, I had a conversation with one. I said, "Look, dude, I'm not going to sit and sift through all of these verses just to try and and provide you pr- better context and some contextual analysis to them. I don't have that amount of time in my life to waste on this discussion. I believe this position is heretical, and I pray that God has mercy on your soul. And you know, and then they get kind of heated on that. And it's like sorry, I'm not going to waste my time chasing down your fallacies and false understandings of scripture. I do not hold to that position. I think it is a heretical one to, to, uh, to hold. And if you believe that and you're listening to the show, I am not sorry because some of these events obviously do take place before 70 or at 70 AD. Some of them do not. And we'll see how some of that unpacks itself. So, um, Let's dig into the text again. Uh, if you go back and listen to the series through the eschatology, we were doing about an hour or more shows then. These will only be 30 minutes, so the sections might uh, will, will be probably more segregated in terms of content over these next couple of chapters, whereas uh, in the past there was only like six episodes, I think, that we did on these two chapters, or the New Testament entirely. We looked at the Matthew account, the Luke, and Mark's account on the Alba Discourse, so We're sticking strictly to Matthew, and we're just looking at these as they come across. So uh, let's dig into the text today. We're going to look at the opening verses in chapter 24, and then we will move all the way down to verse 14. So today we're going to look at the destruction of the temple. This is one that we will assert takes place in AD 70, and then we will look at signs of the end of the age, uh, and we can talk through some of this kind of stuff and how it is, you know, foretelling of both you know, the 80, 70 and the end of time. So this is where that partial preterism comes into play and understanding that if all of these things had been con- concluded in 80, 70, then the, what, what in the world is happening, you know, for the next, uh, 1930 years, because it just doesn't quite make sense when all of these things have taken place and have concluded themselves. So let's dig in. Verse one, Jesus left the temple and was going away. When his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple, and he answered them, you see, you, all, uh, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be one left here, a stone on top of another that will not be thrown down. 
And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, telling, uh, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And when will the sign be of your coming at the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See to it that no one leaves you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and I will lead many astray, and, will lead, and they will lead many astray. I do want to apologize for my flabbering here really quick, because uh, I'm reading it. Normally, the, I, on my logos, I have the, the Bible uh, app on one half of the screen, and then I have my notes on the other, and I have them flipped today, so it's like everything's really far away, and I'm trying to read it, and I just stumble over my words, so apologize for my ramble in there. Well, let's revisit verse 5. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up for tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures unto the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So Jesus gives us some kind of pretext there uh, describing the kind of overarching process of how things will unfold. And we would assert how some of these can be applied to 70 AD. Some of them are applied to that and the end of times and some are strictly applied to the end of times. So we have to understand as a partial preterist and a mill revealed eschatological position, how do these factor in the greater unfolding of God's redemptive plan. These are not, you know, motions to be concluded in the dispensational seven-year tribulational period. Tribulation is going to start right with his ascension. You know, verse 9 says, and they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. There's no factoring here that is going to isolate the disciples for a later period. The disciples will be put to the test immediately. In fact, right out of the gates in the book of Acts, Stephen is stoned to death. And then you've got the persecution and deaths of the rest of the apostles over the span of the next 30 to 35 years or so. So right away, the, the disciples are going to experience tribulation and, uh, and difficulty. And this is going to continue for the church for many, many, many decades and centuries. In fact, we still see it after 2,000 years, how the church is continuously persecuted. Christians, we are the number one persecuted group in the world year after year. So let's dig into these opening verses here, verses 1 and 2. This is going to essentially establish that uh, marker that the temple will be overthrown by uh, in 70 AD. Jesus obviously doesn't tell us that time, but reflecting back, we can see that this is when this event will take place. And uh, Jesus obviously, again, doesn't tell us who does it, but we know it's the Romans because the Romans and the Jews uh, went to uh, a war and in about the mid-60s and then in 70 AD, they were um, uh, overran and driven out into the world. So verses 1 and 2 in his 
In the response to his disciples admiring comments about the temple, Jesus predicts its destruction. The things of this world will not endure, and earthly splendor will not, uh, and earthly splendor will be forgotten on the last day. Understanding the provisional nature of material things leads us to place our highest hopes in the Lord and what He has for us in store in regards to the new heavens and the new earth. So, Jesus is simply asserting that this temple means nothing when the new kingdom comes. This temple will mean nothing as it will be merely thrown down like an old rag doll that has lost its use. This temple will be destroyed. And in 70 AD, the temple is destroyed. And so this is what we uh, can assert when we read a passage like this, that this is not going to essentially usher in the end of times. The end of times was ushered in you know, after the resurrection 40 days out when Jesus ascends into heaven. That's that's the kind of tipping point, the beginning of the end for Christians. So when we deal with the text like these opening verses here, it's just simply uh, reflecting back on this, looking at two things. One, we can look back in history and know when this event took place. And two, we can see when Jesus spoke of this, pointing to the future historical moment when this would take place. So there's a prophetic uh, vision given here by Jesus in these opening verses, and we can retrospect and conclude that this was um, came true in 70 AD. So now, moving into kind of the heart of the Olivet Discourse, so now he sits down on the Mount of Olives, and this is just east of the temple. It's on the opposite bank of the Kidron Valley, and this is where this next sermon will take place, this next discourse, if you would, and we get the probably one of the most unusual teachings that Jesus gives because, you know, a lot of what we've seen are parables and or teachings and understanding of the law, things like that. But now we get this kind of glimpse into what is going to come after Jesus leaves. We are now going to get insight into the end of times. And he begins it with this kind of uh, warning, this kind of setup of here's kind of some basic things to know. And then he jumps, as we'll see next week, into the uh, abomination of desolation, the coming of the Son of Man, the lesson of the fig tree, no one knows the day or the hour. And so we've got a lot of kind of, you know, text that we will work ourselves through that uh, have some unusual placements. And depending on time for next week, we might look at a couple of those things grouped together. But the interesting thing that we see here is, is how Jesus assesses and establishes these, you know, like kind of the next steps, if you would, after he ascends. Um, so this is, you know, a very private uh, discourse that is given. It's not done publicly, though he has taught publicly on very many occasions from, you know, the Sermon on the Mount from chapter 5 through 729, uh, again, chapter 13, uh, when he did the parables. And at other times, he's just speaking directly to his disciples, as is this time. So the question of when this is the first of two questions concerning the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And this will take place in 15 through 22. So the abomination actually, uh, we'll, we'll see how that uh, is directing itself towards the time in Jerusalem in 70 AD and not the dispensationalist antichrist who they foretell is going to come. So now we move into verse four and we see this first statement about the end of times warning. 
And this is really one of the most pronounced and probably easy ones to discard. And Jesus simply says, see that, see that no one leads you astray. See to it that you are not deceived. See to it that you do not fall into the trap of the false teachers and false prophets whom I'm going to tell you about in a moment. See to it that no one leads you astray. That is so punctual as <clears throat> all of this stuff starts to go right off, right? Jesus doesn't start and say, you know, these events are going to take place. All this stuff's going to happen. The mountains are going to crumble. The world's going to shatter into pieces. Jesus says, see to it that no one leads you astray. Now, let me tell you what's going to happen. <clears throat> and I think, in my my view and experience reading and understanding eschatology, the biggest thing I've come across in these years is when you start to dabble in the extremes of a position, especially like if you're in the dispensational premillennialist position, you find yourself running and grasping at straws and trying to find answers within a system. And they will try and find you know, a number sequence or meaning behind an event or maybe they'll find correlation in, you know, words that were spoken at some speech or something. They, they try and find, you know, evidence or a meaning or, you know, a warning behind everything. And I find that this is really an easy way to fall into a false teaching. So Jesus says, do not be deceived right out of the gate. That's the first warning. Jesus teaches that no one can know or how they can calculate when the last day will come. Nobody knows. Not a single person in this world. Not anybody. It is Christ alone and God alone and the Holy Spirit alone. The triune Godhead. That is it. Nobody else. So then he moves into verse 5. He'll say, many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And we've seen through history, many have seen these examples of a messianic pretender. And we see it even today. People say, I'm the com second coming of Jesus. No, you're not, because Jesus told us exactly how he was going to come, and you're not doing it. As bluntly as that. And I think we kind of get wooed or awed by somebody making these claims. Well, I can grow a beard and get some long hair with what hair is left on my head. Maybe I'll go grab a wig. And I could pretend to be Jesus. I might get a small crowd of people that might even believe me. If you say the right things and act the right way, people will believe you. But the truth be told, Jesus says here in 24 and 25, Mark 13, Luke 21, all of these passages that Jesus will return in a certain way at an unbeknownst time. Not that he's going to rule, you know, roam this earth again as a man and preach more. No, that's not what's going to happen. It'll be skies shattering open. So he tells us, don't be deceived. There's going to be many who come right after me saying that they're like me or they are me. Don't be deceived. This warning in verse 4 shall be the warning throughout this entire study on the end of times. Do not be deceived. There will be many who will come and say that they are me. Don't believe them. They will lead many astray. Now we move into verse 6 and 7. We have wars and rumors of wars. Do not be alarmed. They must take place. Nation rises against nation, kingdoms against kingdoms, famines, and earthquakes in various places. So because of geopolitical conflicts and natural disasters are commonplace around the world, 
They cannot be used to determine the date and the end of the world, a.k.a. World War One and World War Two, and how every preacher spouted that this is end of times. Well, we are technically in the end, but this is not it yet. 9-11 is another instance. As much as I, you know, my heart breaks for those who perished that day, that was not the inauguration of the end of times. It's great that it got people to come to church. I mean, and I say that in a solemn manner, that it was an event that God used to draw people back to him, just as Jesus uses that demonstration in the Gospel of Luke when he asks what what was worse, uh, when the king goes out and kills so many people or a tower falls on innocent people. I forget the exact analogy or the, the exact uh, parable that Jesus gives, but the, the premise to it is that in both instances, these tragedies are used to call people who witnessed it back to the graces of God. So the worlds or the wars and the world wars and all these things, these climactic issues can be used to draw people back into church, but they are not the end. They're not the end of times yet. Still brewing, still building, still moving on. The frequency of such times reminds us that we will always need to be prepared for the return of Jesus. We've had tension in the war for over a hundred years, or tension in the world for over a hundred years, with World War One, World War Two, the Korean War, um, Vietnam, Desert Storm. We've got all of the Middle East conflicts going on, and it should keep us on the edge of our seat. When will Jesus return? So then we've got the famines and earthquakes, hurricanes, tornadoes. Right now, we're in an unusual, weird season of winter in Iowa, and it was 75 degrees on Monday. It was 55 degrees yesterday when I left to go into town. It was 33 degrees two hours later. It was 8 degrees when I woke up at 4 a.m. this morning. It's a little bit of a change. Tomorrow is supposed to be high 55 again. So it's starting to warm up. When a lot of that happens, we get bad weather, tornadoes, bad storms, all this stuff. But this is common with the way nature works. It's birthing pains. But it is not the end yet. So these things must take place. The birthing pains typically become more frequent and intense as the day of delivery approaches. So will it be at the end of times? Imagine the way weather was a hundred years ago to the way weather works now. We, you know, we all the laugh claiming climate change, climate change, global warming, global cooling. Ah, well, perhaps, maybe, because the world is starting to get into this toss, uh, back and forth here that Jesus is coming soon. Maybe things are spinning faster because the return is imminent. It's a possibility. The frequency of such signs reminds us that Jesus needs uh, Jesus will return soon. The frequency and severity of climactic events will continue to increase. Moving on to verse 9. Then they will deliver you up for tribulation. So he moves away from kind of the perspective of wars, rumors of wars, and all these things. Now he turns it to his disciples. They, Jesus, does not identify who they will actually be, who will persecute his followers. Because in every generation, there will be different people, different kings, different nations, different rulers, different groups of people. They will come and turn you over and oppress the followers of Jesus simply because we are Christian. They will seek to do harm to the church. They will seek to do harm to these people. They will seek to eradicate us. And that's what the Roman Empire tried to do. 
Then he goes on to say that you will be hated by all nations. This is all people. Accordingly, one should could not interpret this oracle in, in exclusive political terms. It's just that all people, you know, anybody outside of Christianity hates us. Hey, just go on Twitter for five minutes and type in, hey, just post, I love Jesus. And you will get hundreds of people that will hate you for it. Or if you find anything that's got a Christian post to it, you'll find so many people disagreeing and especially so many philosophers and atheists who think they know better. They found the mysteries to the universe and they're talking about them on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it these days. They are deceived and they want to bring that pain of lost and an unfulfilled love to you. And they want to make you feel just as bad. They want to take you down to their level. So all of the nations will hate us. This is not in conjunction with, um, you know, every people, but the nations by and large will hate us. And really all peoples outside of the Christian faith will hate us. That is just the reality we face. So move on to verse 10 and many will fall away. Jesus does not identify again who these will fall away, but we know that we would call this the great apostasy. This is the period when the church will be built up and many will fall away for their faith. And this is one of those things that we stand as Lutherans against that premise of once saved, always saved. Jesus says here in verse nine, they will deliver you up for tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated for my name's sake. That is pinnacle to understand verse 10. When Verse 10 is an echo of the sower of the seed. The sower of the seed says that there will be seed that will be thrown upon rocky soil. It will sprout up really quick and then wither in the hot sun because the roots can't grow deep. Well, that is the type of person who becomes a Christian, does great things, believes, but once tribulation and persecution come, they fall away from their faith. They leave it. They don't want to deal with this. They don't want to struggle and experience pain. So... When Christians are returned over for, you know, just being a Christian, turned over for death, turned over for uh, for uh, torture and pain, these people who are kind of on the fringe will walk away from it. So this include so this is what we attest to being the great apostasy, and I think we're starting to see a lot of that. I've said it for a number of years, but I think it's becoming more and more increasing with today's world because we have, you know, social media and everybody wants to, you know put on the display of them walking away from Christianity. And so you've got the deconstruction movement and you've got all these people walking away from the faith. So you've got uh, the great apostasy taking place and they will betray one another and hate one another. And then Jesus goes on to say, and now many false teachers are actually going to arise. You will have these false prophets, just as an abundance of messianic pretenders have appeared over the centuries, so will many false prophets and subvervants of sound doctrine will appear. This is just about everybody on social media right now that claims to be a prophet, especially if they have prophet in their title or apostle in their title, or they say, the Lord has given me a prophetic message. No, you are a false teacher and you fit the bill of Matthew 24, verse 11. You are a false teacher, false prophet. Boom. End of story. May God have mercy on your soul. Many will f- will rise up and lead many astray. So it's not only just the tribulation and persecution that's going to lead these people away, the, the elect, but it is these false prophets that will entice them and promise them stuff 
and lead them astray. Lawlessness will be increased. You've got the love of many will grow cold in verse 12. So the doctrinal corruption always produces a deterioration of morality and ethics. So this is a big thing I feel in the West when we've started to allow the church to preach whatever it wants by whomever it desires. You have surrendered the sternness by which the gospel should be preached. And by sternness, I mean you've, you've given up what the church has done for 2,000 years, the, the equation of that. You've given up the, the importance and the weight by which the gospel ought to be preached. And you've allowed for soft, a smooth, satisfying, ear-tickling voice to step in and preach a gospel that is essentially watered down and corrupt. Lawlessness will be increased. Verse 13, but the one who endures unto the end will be saved. Amid his dire predictions about things continuously getting worse, Jesus offers a word of encouragement. Those remaining faithful will be saved. This does not mean that faith lays hold of the righteousness and salvation only in the beginning and then resigns its office and works as though it had to sustain faith. The righteousness received and uh, received in salvation. That means that the promise not only of receiving but also retaining righteousness and salvation is firm and sure to us. St. Paul writes in Romans 5, 2, ascribing to faith not only is the entrance to grace, but it also that we stand in grace and boast in the future glory. In other words, he credits the beginning, middle, and end of faith alone. It is faith that which saves us, faith that which brings us together, faith that which holds us to the end. But we can be led astray, we can surrender that faith, and we can stop believing. So, there you go. And I'm sure that a couple of people might not agree with me on that, and that's perfectly fine. So, moving on to verse 14, we're towards the end of this section, in the gospel, the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So, this is it. So, this is what I always say. You know, there's a lot of these things going on here. And these events will take place and have been taking place and will continue to take place. But when the gospel has reached its conclusion for reaching the entire world, then the end will come. The world will have a chance to hear the gospel before Jesus returns in glory. This is not only a testimony of God's all-encompassing grace, but also to Jesus' universal lordship and judge and, and rule as judge. On a spread, the mission work, this is what we do. This is the, the premise. In fact, there's a, there's a company out there that uses the spreading of the mission into the world. And they track how many people groups are left to be approached. And so I feel like once we've reached all of those people groups and have successfully proclaimed the gospel to every corner of the world, then we could be confident that the end is close. We don't know if it will happen exactly in that moment or within our lifetime. But that is like one of the last factors to this great equation. And really, it shouldn't even be for us to decide when that last people group is is reached because it could not just be by people group. It could just be that whom God desires to hear the gospel. So don't know when this will take place. We just sit and wait in faith that Christ will return. So verses 1 through 14, Jesus' prophecies about things leading up to the end of the world. Today, the stories of military conflicts, political integrities, and natural disasters continue to fill 
the news, all this should remind us of the nearness of the age to come and the end of this age. In it that we may rejoice through the world is indeed increasingly evil and hostile to God. Christians are ever nearer to the great day of Christ's return. So that's the first 14 verses. Next week we'll dig into the abomination of desolation and take a look at that. And then potentially time-wise we'll look at the next couple passages. So uh, thanks for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen. I'm glad I got to kind of go over this passage again and talk about it from today's perspective rather than just dishing out a three-year-old podcast. So hope you enjoyed it. And as always, check out logos.com forward slash undying light and get yourself a free copy of Logos. That's what I'm using on my screen right now to track me on my notes. And uh, it's a great program. So make sure you get yourself a copy. You can get a free copy and then add material or you can jump in right away and buy a bundle it's up to you logos.com forward slash and light make sure you get into church on sunday partake in the sacraments hear the word of law and gospel preached to you and may god and be merciful and compassionate and loving to you all the days of your life god bless we'll see y'all later